Hello and welcome back. In this episode, we're talking to Nick Hartland. We'll be discussing the consultation paper number two, details of the proposed new model of aged care, and we'll be discussing some of the things that were said in the webinar on the 18th of May. So thank you very much for the invite, Lisa. Um, I'm Nick Hartland. I work in the Department of Health in Canberra, and I look after a division that's called the Home and Residential Division. So it's a big, it's a division that basically funds providers to do stuff across CHSP, home care packages and residential aged care. And so we're working on the supported home reforms uh, that the government's uh, committed to, um, noting that out of the budget, they agreed to postpone it till uh, July 2025, which gives us a bit more time to work with the community on, on the final policy design. Yeah. And I can see you've got a, a few things going on at the moment. So can we start a little bit with the assessment trial that's happening right now? Hmm. Okay, so um, a couple of things going on. So firstly, age care assessments um, use a range of tools, but they're not standardised. So we're, we're trying to introduce a greater level of standardisation so that you know, basically people get the same result no matter where they go. And we want to see greater use of tools that that are valid and measure functional impact of um, aging or disability. So we're trying to move the system about. So the trial is a bit about testing the tool set that we've got. This is a complex bit of work too, but it's also about understanding what needs are in the community. So, you know, how many people have high level needs through to low. And at the moment, the way we do that's pretty rough. Like we've got four home care packages and there's kind of like more than four types of people in aged care, right? So that, that needs to get better. We're trying to understand with more data about what are the pattern of needs in the community and how does that relate to funding. There's some kind of technical stuff going on about recalibrating our funding to make sure that it gets to the people that need it most um, and in the right amount. That's also what the trial is attempting to allow us to do. After the trial is finished and we know that there are categories within categories of the trial, mm. the final decision will be made by an AI but it wasn't clear with if the final decision is already made, who is overseeing it, who can change it? Can you yeah. reply and say, well, I don't agree? How is it going to actually work? The idea is to get, um, is to sort of calibrate scores on a trial to resource needs. Because look at it this way, just assessing someone with a tool, you know, the output of that isn't itself meaningful, like it could be a seven, right? So the tool might say you're, you know, whatever the questions are, you're a seven. Now that doesn't really mean anything in and of itself. So you have to kind of relate, what do those tools mean to actual need? And so that's what people are talking when they talk about logarithms and AIs and all that stuff. It's really just saying, when we look across all the tools we've applied and the different scores, how does that add up to relating someone to a service need. It's a bit easy to kind of overrate that. I mean, we're really just trying to find a structured way of relating what the assessment was to funding needs. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably a better way of describing it. Because they also said they were, you're going to commission experts to review classification. Those yes, are the that's words. Right. Are they medical experts? Or? Yes, so clinic people that are, have a... Yeah, professional qualification that would enable them to understand someone's kind of clinical and service need, just to make sure that what we think the service offer is kind of passes muster, if you like, is, is validated. Is that ongoing or is that before it all comes live? Uh, at the moment, the scope is before it comes live. I think, you know, a bit like ANAC, if this system is adopted and runs, yes, you would want to review it. 
every so often too. We would have to work with our colleagues in the Health and Aged Care Pricing Authority to understand who's best placed to do it. I mean, in relation to ANAC, that's one of their functions. It may or may not be something they wish to do in home care because it works a bit differently. No matter what happens, it'll be important that these categories are reviewed that's one of the problems we've got, I guess, in the home care system in particular. Like we first had four categories, uh, 2013 or whenever we started introducing system, it's 10 years later and we really haven't reviewed them. And you can tell from the amount of unspent funds that we've got in the system that they're not really very tightly related to what people actually need. So I can see in the budget that there's um, 15.7 million over two years for the comprehensive assessment system. And I was wondering whether there would be a further trial or whether... Whether there would be like oversight yes. by the experts all the time, where, oh, where yes. that money yeah, will we'll, go. Yeah, well, the 15.7 is for the move from three assessment organisations to having a better integrated workforce. But yes, like if, if we start a system like Support at Home that uses uh, funding categories more rigorously, then yes, you, you need to review them regularly. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Because um, there was also mentioned that there was going to be a cost and price study. The consultation paper, the latest one, doesn't really mention much about funding, which really is the bottom line for everything, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, yes. So, well, what we've been talking about, about the categories, I mean, that's sort of like the consumer-facing aspect of funding, like what do you get in relation to providers? Like what do they get when they deliver a service? We've asked the Independent Health and Aged Care Pricing Authority to, to look at that issue. So there's a fair bit of diversity in home care packages around the prices that are providers charge for services and that's become controversial uh, amongst the kind of consumer community if you like and like when you think about CHSP we know that the prices we pay for our contracts vary, vary quite widely and they're, they're historic we think they also need to be reviewed that that should be proper arm's length from government you know by a body that's actually got expertise and understanding the cost of delivering services so that's why our HACPA have been um, commissioned to do that work you know actually the provider community that has most to gain from some of these reforms is actually the CHSP community because many providers have been on really strange pricing arrangements because of the historic nature of their grants so you know, I know there's um, a lot of uncertainty in the CHSP community about the reforms and a shift away from grants and or a total reliance on grants anyway. Um, but there's sort of like a lot of upside as well to the reforms for that for that group of providers. Just as a sidetrack, since you yeah. mentioned <laughs> the grants, I can see that the Commonwealth, the home support and the home care packages have got funding over four years in the budget does that mean that after 2025 they'll get merged okay so the government has decided to uh have another year of grants so we're just about to finalize the ones for 20 where are we 23 24 and so then quickly after that we'll be in around for 24 25 when we get to the end of that i mean the government still has to make a decision exactly how it wants to integrate the commonwealth the home support program i mean it hasn't definitively decided how to do that, when whether there needs to be more rollover. So, so that will need to be worked through. The fact that they've given the grants for another year doesn't mean that the funding for that group of providers ends. It's just not being committed to be funded through a grant process. And, and we need to work through how that, that all works. I hope that's sort of a bit of a circuitous answer, but I yes, hope it's kind of it's, reasonably clear. When again, there's lots of people in the mix providing services, especially in um, a CHSP environment. It, will the My Age Care portal remain the same? What will providers be able to see 
if a client is, you know, has got a number of different providers of care. Yeah, the portal will need to change quite radically. Yeah. I mean, it will depend on how the multiple provider issue works through. Um, We're still trying to land that end up being a bit more complex than we thought. But yeah, the portal will need to change and the information providers see about the client and how they get connect to clients is going to need to change, yeah. I'd like to also ask about um, the fair work pay increases because um, on the on the webinar yesterday, um, they said to look up the grants. They're going to open in July sometime, but they're not going to be available for those who are already paying above the 15% wage increase. Mm. But in an equitable way, if you are already paying above that 15% because you want to encourage workers to come to your place to work, do you really think that's fair? Well, the government's committed to meet the actual cost of the Fair Work Commission for CHSP. The other funding arrangements work a bit, and because we've got grants, we can target that. The other funding arrangements uh, Mm. for the subsidy models in ANAC or home care packages work a bit differently, and we've wanted to use mainstream mechanisms, so they panned out a bit differently. You know, like the, the Fair Work Commission was a pretty big bill for the government took a lot of work from our minister and uh, some of my colleagues to get agreement to that amount of money. There were some decisions made about how to target money effectively to the actual impact of the Fair Work Commission. So it wasn't an occasion for a general round of price increases, unfortunately. Yeah. They also said that there was going to be a study, and I was looking for the funding for it, around standards. So they were going to have a group of 40 providers have a pilot program on the new standards? Uh, I think that's out of my area. So this is the quality standards, is it? Mm. Yeah, no, oh, sorry, okay. I'm not, not across that in detail. You, know, you need to touch base with Josh Malton or who did that. All yeah. right. If we can talk about just for a minute, if you're in a trust program and you're, and you're doing low-level maintenance, um, domestic services, et cetera, that you're only going to be maybe one level one, two, and three. Yep. Now, I think it's on page 41 of the consultation. They've got the little chart about how you're going to be audited. And it says that if you're providing level one to three, it's a digital declaration. So this is about service types, not levels of funding. So I think what that says is there are different service groups, right, ranging from gardening right up to nursing care. We think that having one standard approach that fits is either is too lax for nursing care or too hard for gardening. So if you try to apply them. So we're trying to look for a more proportionate approach for standards. And so you would be expect the different requirements. And so you'd have different requirements and a different approach to checking them, depending on how risky the service intervention is. That, that's the basic idea behind the proportionate quality system, regulation system, yeah. Yes. For oversight, it says just will have specific specifications. They will not be the same auditing process because it's deregulated. And the auditing process will be a digital declaration. What is the process that would entail oversight by digital declaration. Yeah, so you'll need to talk to Carol and Turnor about about exactly how they're going to do that. And I'm going to be more than just ticking yes. So when you become a registered provider, you will get a group of obligations. So they've changed now from responsibility to obligation 
to me, that's a distinct change in wording, which will make it arbitrary rather than recommended. How will that be audited by... Yeah, you need to talk to Carolyn about that. Okay. Yeah, so, sorry, not, in my, not, not something I'm fully across. Yeah. All right. So c- can you give me a name again? Maybe I'll send an email question. Car- Carolyn Turnall. I'll give you a... Um, oh. A, when, when we're offline, I'll give you a, her email address. Take a breather while I yeah, read yeah. that when you're doing a webinar or even in the consultation paper, it's pretty fluffy, really. Truth be known, it's pretty fluffy. And I I realize that people read it and they feel okay with it. But some some of those things, I do think this is fluffy wording. And then when you get to some serious wording, it's overlooked and nobody ever asks a question about it. They ask the same old question that gets answered in 6 billion different ways, but they don't answer actual logistic questions that can make a difference to how people move forward so then it gets missed (laughs) well i think look for all of these policy programs like you do tend to progressively get more and more precise so you know like our method tends to be to test general concepts test you know themes or kind of issues that arise from general concepts but we do get to a stage eventually of ventilating how this looks in legislation and aged care is a legislative scheme well so i should suppose grants but thinking about mainstream aged care for a sec you know it's a legislative scheme so it's actually very transparent as to what is meant because all of that ends up in either the primary legislation or the delegated legislation so you do eventually get to these questions about well what did you mean by obligation and how does that differ to responsibilities? But it, it, sometimes it can be a bit down the track. Yes, just so that we can drill down so that we've got a bit of overview. Yeah. I think it's it's helpful for providers not to be scared about what's going to happen when they get a little bit more detail. With the New Aid Care Act, and I keep <laughs> visualising some hippie delivering some care, are we hoping to see a draft this year? Yes, yeah, we're hoping to have one out later in the year. Will there be consultation? Yeah, we, we release it to get feedback on it. Yes, like it'll be released for people to comment on whether it works, whether it's missing things, uh, whether there are things in there that ought not to be in there. And then when is the projection of it being read for the first time? Uh, I'm not exactly sure which sitting, but the commitment is to have it operating in 2024. But the funding for the development, for the bill for the new age care and associated changes is 81 million over three years. Well, the, the Age Care Act will, well, as like if it starts in 2024, like supported home starting in 2025, there's already at least a couple of years of funding that needs to be done. So <clears throat> it'll that, start in a phased way. That's true. But obviously, we're in 2023 now to 2024 to 2025. That's still only two years. There's another whole year. And if we're not even going to be seeing a draft until the end of the year are we realistically looking at 2025 oh i think we've got enough time to do the act in 24 and support at home in 25 you know it's just looking at support at home which i know best you know like even with that year postponement to 25 it's still pretty tight so it's going to be a busy period i mean i don't think it's impossible it's certainly not impossible to do and it's but there's still a lot of stuff to work through. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty busy time for us in the sector over the next couple of years, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is going to be very busy. So if we just talk about, you know, the in-home program, can you just give me a brief overview of what you're expecting the next two years to look like from a highbrow point of view rather than a detailed point of view? 
Um, I talked to NACA today and I kind of said, look, there's two kind of different types of work that we're doing at the moment. So there's a whole lot of technical work going on that we need to get right. You know, we've got the Independent Health and Aged Care Pricing Authority looking at prices for home care. Uh, we're about to do a study on inclusions and exclusions for assistive technology and home modifications. So we're pretty keen that uh, aged care has a better assistive technology offer, but we also want to make sure that we're funding stuff that's good value and the type of thing the taxpayer should be paying for. Uh, there's a study on high levels of care, the integrated assessment trial, and the clinical review, and also we're trialling a way of providing assistive technology through loans programs, which states and territories currently have loans schemes, and they've become a little bit more about. Uh, the NDIS had a different funding philosophy. You know, I don't think all assistive technology would be loans, like that would be a bit nutty. Expanding those schemes seems to make sense to us. So we're working with the states and territories on that. So there's kind of like a whole lot of technical stuff going on in preparation. In addition, some of the big moving pieces of this, um, we're, we're happy with progress, but on all of the bigger other stuff like self-management, care management, how do we work short-term response, uh, short-term restorative care in, you know, how does the funding model work, particularly some CHSP providers that have been concerned about a full fee-for-service model. We're looking at supplementary grants for meals, transport, group social support, and the respite providers, doing the more policy work with the community on that is still pretty important. So we need to work through that. So look, I think if you're looking at 12 months, there's kind of like working with the community on those issues, working with, you know, experts on those other technical issues. I mean, that's what the next 12 months or so will look like, nine to 12 months. And then after that, we'll sort of be final decisions in the implementation mode. So we'd have about a year run up of, well, how do we get CHSP providers in, you know, comfortable so they can get the right funding and deliver their services. You mentioned the loans program. Lots of the states have got their own loans program. And in the webinar yesterday, they did seem to intimate that we wouldn't be scrapping them all and getting a new one. We would be working with the ones that they have. Again, I can see there has been a budget for that. So how will the budget be given out if everybody has their own state loans program? Will all the programs remain different? Will they be standardized? So we'll well, we'll work with our state colleagues to figure out how to expand their schemes within their state. And yeah, that'll involve some standardization as to what Commonwealth money can be used to um, yeah, support loans from. So there'll be a degree of standardization and but we'll work through states and territories as delivery partners. So it's not necessarily say that, oh, we're going to split that, or was it 10 million? And we split that evenly between all the states and then they've got to get everything going. Or oh, will there be more for stage. one state if it's rubbish? You know, if their system's rubbish, will they get more money? Uh, well, at the moment, we're only trialling the arrangement. So how we actually flow that through to the states. Like I think in eventually we would want a national price for a wheelchair. And if you need more wheelchairs in New South Wales and you get more of the same price, mm. but what we're just at the stage of trialling how we would expand it, but not at the stage of thinking how do we ensure the funding kind of matches consumer need. Were you happy with the way that this um, second consultation paper came out? And um, have you had any feedback on it yet? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the stuff that we came back with was still concern about the need to finalise prices and providers are still working through how the funding arrangements would work. So there's still ongoing discussion about the mix of uh, activity-based funding and grants and how that all works. So, I mean, that was the major 
kind of take out that, that I had from the discussion paper. I think we've got a firm enough basis to say, oh, okay, we've got a model that broadly we think can work and what we need to do now is sort of divide up the work and really dive into detail about how does how do we actually make this happen? You know, like it would have been very tight to have done it by July 2024, but with a July 2025 start date, we're feeling pretty confident that we can get a new program up. Can I just ask about how the funding will work? Potentially, we're going for three monthly blocks of funding that are not carried over. You've been assessed, you've got your funding, but you have an episode of something happening. So say, for example, you've got your funding and it's normally for garden and it's for domestic assistance, but actually you fall over and break your hip. Yep. So you need the hospital. What flexibility is in that funding? Because it might be you need nursing care for just one month within that three-month period. Is there flexibility to change around the funding in yeah. for that kind of thing? So I think there's three. So this is one of the things we need to keep working so there's sort of three three elements of the model that would uh, allow deal flexibility. So so the first is yeah, as you just said, that if someone you know has an incident, well they might lead less of one service and more of another. So you could shuffle the services within the same amount of funds to, to um, deal with it. We are looking at we have been looking at a proposal where providers would have a pool of funds that could be used flexibly to deal with that. That was in the discussion paper. Um, mm -hmm. That's still being looked at. There were some actual voices from the consumer community about whether that was what they wanted to see in the model. So we, we need to work through that. Uh, and the third thing is like a greater commitment to short-term care. So, you know, the, cl the classic thing in assessment is if you've got someone who's very high needs because of an incident, often they're assessed as if that was going to be their ongoing need. And so, you know, their leg is healed or whatever it happens to be. Um, they actually don't need the funding that you gave them. So we're quite interested in short-term service offers that both for restorative care, but, but also for, um, you know, more intensive personal care or domestic assistance or stuff like that. So that's kind of like the third tranche about how you deal with flexibility. But we, we understand you need to have some flexibility in the system. And that's all I'm hoping. The podcast yeah. got some really good sound bites of actual information that give people ongoing confidence that it's not all going to fall in a heap just before the end. Yeah, yeah. Good. Oh, cool. All right. All right. Thanks Thank so much. You. We'll talk to you yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. We can agree it's not equitable, but it's not going to happen. Oh, I don't think I want to agree with you. It's not equitable. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy to hear your views. <laughs>